I do not think Osman is going to go to Chelsea. I think Victor Osman's most likely to go to PSG. Everyone wants Osman, but they don't want to pay for Osman. Yeah. That's the thing. In this episode of The Reflect, we're going to look at what effects the big transfer stories so far could have on everyone. everyone. <laughs> Option two, Man City get Mbappe. Kane's one of the best passers in the Premier League. Osman is not one of the best passers in Serie A, let alone the Premier League. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. The season is over, but that leads to what? That's right. Transfer season. Exciting times. We are going to be running throughout the summer. Uh, you guys will probably know by now I'm going to take a mini break on my channel, but The Ripple Effect will be here because the, the origins of The Ripple Effect was exactly this, kind of what occurs after a transfer happens or if a transfer happens. And so... That's what we want to kind of really drill down into over the summer months. So this is the place to be if you want to have some whimsical, speculative chat. Because no one knows what they're talking about. Although they all seem to think that they know what they're talking about. Apart from one man, my guest today. See, I found that at the end. I'm quite proud of that link. Although I've ruined it by <laughs> acknowledging it. Doogie Critchley joins me for the first time on The Ripple Effect. I have been stalking this man on Twitter for a couple of months now. And I've been desperate to get him on because you are so knowledgeable, mate. You are such a source of, of information for myself and for so many other people. And uh, it's great to have you on, mate. How are you? Thank you very much. That's incredibly kind. I can't imagine I'm a source of knowledge for, for a lot of people, as you say, making up as I go along. But I'm enjoying the ride. And transfers <laughs> is the time. I think we talked about it just before we started that I actually really personally enjoy a lot. The madness of the window, yes, the, the finances involved are a bit unseemly to say the least, but it's just so fun speculating about what it all means for everyone else. And I can't wait to do it in podcast form with you today. Let's do it, mate. So, well, actually, let's touch on that for a second. Yeah, how do you feel about the the money situation? Because we kind of we're off the back of Man City winning the treble. I did see um Henry, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And going for did he go for Inter Milan on penalties for he his did, prediction? Yes. It was a lot closer than I certainly thought it was gonna be. Um, but I, I did a video after it, reacting to it, and what I felt compelled to talk about, which I thought was, it was interesting, and I didn't want to talk about it, but I felt like I had to, was what I saw on Twitter. Now, we're going to talk about transfers a lot, but Twitter's an interesting place, and you're on there a lot, mm. actually. I, I see you know, loads of your tweets. They're great. But straight after the final whistle, I found it really interesting, the, you know... I don't want to use salt because I'm just going to wind people up again. But the amount of kind of um, aggro towards Man City off the back of it and kind of the source of all of that is obviously money. And that kind of comes back into the, you know, the transfer window and the money that's sort of knocking about now. So how do you feel about super quickly on, on sort of the Man City going and doing it and the general sort of financial state of, of the of European football, actually, because for yourself, to focus on the Bundesliga, La Liga, um, Liga, what am I missing? Serie A. You're, you will often see more and more so, I guess, as the years have progressed, the disparity between the Premier League and the money that it has and 
what comes with that, which is, I think, a little bit of snobbery at times. Mm. I get it thrown at me a lot of the time. People kind of go, oh, you're, you know, you're not respecting those other teams. The way I kind of look at it a lot of times, well, no, hang on, like this is Man City and they've got lots of money. So I expect them to kind of win that game. But yeah, that, that whole, I know I've said a lot here, but like that whole like landscape and the finances within it all, how do you generally feel about that as someone who works within football? Yeah, I think, I mean, because I've got an interest in European football before, I mean, Football Daily's changed recently. So that's primarily I work on Football Daily and Euro Football Daily, we used to have this channel specifically dedicated to European football. So through that, I wanted to educate myself, follow lots of other European Twitter accounts, journalists, etc., based in other countries, because they are the guys with the first hand knowledge. And a lot of them are understandably quite furious about what's been going on in terms of finances around Europe. Mm. Like they feel like the Premier League's just completely sort of doctored the way football works. And, you know, last year spending more than the other leagues combined. It's not a great look for football. And so they take a lot of joy when, you know, the likes of Man United or, you know, Arsenal flop in Europe, as it were. And mm. I think they were all pretty determined for, for Man City to not win the game on Saturday night. But I thought it was quite interesting that we also, in England, jump on Man City when we see them doing well as well. And I think that's obviously that's partly down to jealousy. But people yeah. are pretty concerned about these charges made against them. But I just thought the timing of it, I've never seen Twitter mention charges so much. So quickly. As when they beat Real Madrid 4-0, actually. I think I probably saw it more that night. And it was just right. one of the most comprehensive like Champions League performances I've probably ever seen, or at least yeah. in my memory. Yeah. And the amount of times that people were mentioning charges, when at 8pm, when the game was kicking off, it wasn't to be seen anywhere. Yeah. And it's good that it comes up. And I think, you know, fans are understandably concerned about what it means and how they have been accused of cheating. But until we have that information, you've kind of got to either... You can appreciate what they do on the pitch without always talking about the charges while keeping that context in mind. That's, I think that's where we're kind of a bit... We're all a bit snookered in terms of people who talk about football because... And that's what I said in this video. And I think a lot of people sort of had a selective hearing at times. And I actually got, I got some really good tweets and comments in terms of people that, you know, just gave me a different perspective or, or whatever. But I, I did feel like, because essentially what I said was, this is the most soulful manager of all time, playing the most beautiful football of all time. With a squad that's been recruited over time. Mm. Not, it's not sort of, you know, it's not Chelsea where they went bang, 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 bang. Um, both when Abramovich first came through the door and more importantly, I guess this year when they've thrown 600 million at it. And and I apologise to Chelsea fans because I got a lot of people going, well, look, if this was Chelsea, you would have got really angry. I was just using Chelsea as an example because they've spent a lot in transfer funds this year. So all of those things are kind of a lot of the nice things that you would like about football in terms of squad building. But it is always there. And, and that's what I had to say. You have to kind of say, like you have to, when I've spoken to put the question to people, they have to often caveat what they're about to say. And I think that's obviously such a shame because I th I think you're like me in the sense that, you know, you're a Sunderland fan, I'm a QPR fan, and so you kind of see the, the top guys. And so you actually, you just you just love the sport. You just appreciate the sport and great football and, and then all the stories that come, come with it. And I think we need to get to a point now where, because I feel sorry for like the individual on the pitch, Pep Guardiola and... And the fans that want to kind of enjoy it with a, a freedom. So I myself on that evening was like, I was like, give them the night. <laughs> you know, like give yeah. them the night to enjoy it. And then you can hammer them tomorrow. But obviously they've, they've, other fans feel such an injustice on the other side of it. So they, you know, feel like, oh, hang on a minute. You can't let them get away with it. So we, we're in a very difficult position and place. And so 
I'm kind of coming back to not the bad guys being, but the the re- responsibility has to be taken out of Man City's hands, really, because that's with any rule or or any kind of uh, behaviour. If you can get away with stuff, you will try and get away with it, and that's allegedly what's probably occurred here. Mm. So I think it needs to be resolved really, really quickly for like for everyone involved. Because you use the word doctored there in terms of the Premier League. What do you mean? What do you mean by that in terms of how? Other leagues kind of look at well, just I mean, you know, if they've really? if they've inflated their you know their finances through um, sponsorship etc. and and not you know these aren't fair. We we even saw it with the with the Newcastle new sponsor as well, where their website hadn't even been set up yet. And it, it feels like we're all getting into quite dodgy territory. But you know, the Premier League had a responsibility when these owners came in, and mm. if they have been found guilty in the future if they are then I think a lot of questions go back on the Premier League and I think we'll have the same thing questions being asked about Saudi Arabia in a few years as well if you know we're going down this slippery slope of letting states into clubs but I totally agree with you it's not the players fault it's not Guardiola's fault it's definitely not the fans fault as well and that's what I yeah those are the people I feel most sorry for because you know they have in many people's eyes, an asterisk, an asterisk around their success this season. And the fact those charges have to be brought up just does demean their achievement. And it's a shame because in terms of their on-pitch success, it's been remarkable. Yeah, and so in terms of the solution for that, that's where I kind of... I'm trying to figure out someone who truly is neutral on this one, because like, I can empathise with those fans. The only way to solve this is, like, the past being the past... And it being resolved in terms of, you know, are you guilty? Are you not guilty? Take your punishment, whatever it is. Then that allows you to draw a line and to to really wholeheartedly enjoy, you know, the future successes that those those clubs would have. Because it does, like, I don't know. Maybe if, if it happened to Sunderland, I'm sure you've been put, this has been put to you before. Same with you, Finn. I don't know if you've got a mic there, but you can just shout. <laughs> with Crystal Palace, would you... Would you take the money? Like, QPR kind of had the money for a bit, but we sort of wasted it so badly. We then got fined and are still, like, coping with that now. But we were punished, by the way, whereas a lot of teams don't seem to be punished. How how would you feel if it was Sunderland? I got asked this a lot when the Newcastle takeover went through because, obviously, it's so relevant to us being, being their closest rivals. And, you know, Sunderland have had really, really, really bleak times in recent years. Mm. And I wouldn't begrudge those fans that did celebrate, you know, new money coming in, whatever the source, to a certain degree. But at the same time, you know, having having thought about this from a, a, a more moral perspective over the last few years, I feel like I'd be a massive hypocrite if I was delighted that Saudi Arabia bought Sunderland, having said what I've said. Um, but at the same time, I don't blame Newcastle fans for being very excited, having been through that Mike Ashley phase either. Totally. And it needs to... Sorry, Finn, what, was your, what would your call be? If we're going to break into that the next the next sort of step, we've got to do it like, there's two ways we can do it. Either we get bought out, have a load of money, or which is not going to happen, or we go the way, you know, with the like Cat One Academy that we've got going on. Sure. So it's like, we've got to try and bring players up from the bottom mm-hmm. rather than try and buy them in from the top. And which I they'll, think, get, they'll get bought by, by bigger clubs anyway, right? I know, right? I know but, That's... but then it's like the resale thing that Brighton have been, have been doing. Mm. So it's like, I th- at the moment, I'm saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the money right. on a moral standpoint because this could work. Yeah. Ask me again in, you know, six, seven years. Yeah, I think, worked. see, that's that's a great point because I think, where are we going to be? Like, I think everyone's kind of feeling it in their stomach a little bit over the last three or four years. And, you know, 
in in six years' time, I, I wonder if we'll be able to recognise kind of what we're kind of seeing because the, the numbers just get bigger and bigger and bigger. I always come back to the idea of like the solution has to be that you can have as much money as you want, but you are confined to spend a certain amount, and that needs to be kept together. That's the pro- that's one mm. of the big problems here, and that means that also in terms of taxing to a point these clubs and using Premier League money correctly that has to come down into the EFL because I think you're seeing it in the championship now you've got some really big teams there you certainly saw it in League One when you guys were there you know the distinction between the sort of the bigger clubs we've had even just the championship money or had a moment in the Premier League as you know as opposed to those other teams in, you know, the Stevenages, I guess it will be in there now, Cambridge United. Like, there's a massive gap there. I'm seeing it with QPR now as well. I'm kind of looking at all the other teams. I'm thinking, we're, how are we supposed to compete with this? Mm. And and it does make its way down through the leagues as well. So it's as bad there as it is. Not as bad, but it's pretty bad there. But the only difference with the Premier League is that even Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace have so much more money than Serie A, La Liga, all those other things that you can kind of go, oh, it's it's all cool because we're still able to get quality players through the door. Yeah, I mean, it was like, we saw it last summer with people like, you know, Sven Botman choosing Newcastle over Milan. I mean, that's quite a poor example because Newcastle are a big club. But there were so many of those Happened examples. with a Bournemouth player, I think. There was a Bournemouth player. I don't know if that Bournemouth player ended up at Bournemouth, but I think Milan had, or someone had, they basically outbid Milan. Mm. And it was like, well, no, we've paid the most. So yeah. you have to come here. And he was like, well, I don't really, I want to go to Milan. Well, and, Z- and Zaniolo leave, nearly going to Bournemouth in January. And actually then I was actually talking to a Sky journalist who supports Bournemouth the other day. And he said that Zaniolo initially didn't want to go to Bournemouth. And then his only other offer, offer was Galatasaray. And Bournemouth were offering far more money than Galatasaray. And then they changed their mind. But by this stage, Bournemouth had already signed Dango Rotara. So they couldn't bring in Zaniolo. But my point, my final point on this was going to be, you know, the dream probably would be to introduce something similar to what they've got in the Bundesliga of 50 plus one. But in enforcing these major stakeholders, these enormously wealthy, well, they are often men, these enormously wealthy men to give up their stakes so fans can take, you know, 51% of the ownership of those clubs is a pipe dream, really. But yeah. it is probably the most beautiful form of club ownership in mm. that the fans have such a major stake. Yeah, but... Isn't going to happen. It's is too it? far gone. No way you're gone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, so, all that said, just like football itself, we are going to be hypocrites. I'm going to talk about money and buying players. Mm, yummy, yummy. Um, just to say, uh, we are on Spotify. And uh, if you would like to, we'd really appreciate it if you followed the podcast and uh, give us a five star rating as well. Massively helps myself. Uh, especially over the summer, because I think we could really get the podcast out to a lot more people. But of course, wherever you're listening uh, to this, uh, make sure you follow us as well. We're not just exclusively on Spotify, although the video rights are right. Uh, We're going to have a little break and then we'll be back and we'll talk a lot of transfers and a lot of ripple effects. Okay, word of the week, time, chain. And uh, do you know what I've noticed in the, the, uh, all the transfer news that I'm reading now is, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm just looking for it, but so I'm seeing a lot of domino effects and merry-go-rounds and, rip, and, and the odd trickle effect. Oh. And uh, Yeah, but no, I haven't seen a ripple effect yet. So if you do see a ripple effect, tag me in it because uh, we can go after. So chain is the word of the week, a set of connected events, usually where one causes the next 
For example, his resignation was followed by a remarkable chain of events. Or you could say that uh, that there's been going to be a huge chain of events with some of these transfers that we're about to talk about. And it's all about the big names this summer. So many big names. I guess there was last year as well. You had Haaland, Lewandowski, Mbappe. There was a lot of talk about him. Um, and there will be again. So transfers should never be taken at face value. Declan Rice leaving West Ham doesn't stop just there. Shout out to Sir Isaac Newton, by the way, his third law. Because each action has an equal and opposite reaction. Transfers within football align perfectly with this because it's never just a transfer. It has effects on clubs involved, managers, fans. But they can also influence clubs that aren't anything to do with the initial move. How exciting. In this episode of The Reflect, we're going to look at what effects the big transfer stories so far could have on everyone. You get a reverb on that, Finn? Don't worry, I'll do it. Everyone. One, one, Right, uh, only one place to start. Absolutely, you know, destroying the running order and going straight to the top. Mbappe. It's back. It's back. <laughs> it's Mbappe. Uh, to leave PSG, he has communicated... He has explained to the hierarchy there that he will not be triggering the option to extend the current contract until 2025. It means that the deal would expire next June 2024, as Lequipe has suggested. And this is just a lovely little hand grenade that just gets chucked onto Twitter. Fabrizio pops it out there. And I think the Mbappe transfer... It could decide so many futures. We had everything set for actually uh, Kolo Muani, who we will talk about being the sort of the first domino in that domino effect of a lot of strikers. But Mbappe just goes straight to the top of that. Uh, initial thoughts on Mbappe and Mbappe leaving PSG and, and what could transpire? It's all down to Karim Benzema for me. He is the first stone dropped into create this massive ripple. I mean, I don't think Real Madrid were expecting it at all um, for Karim Benzema to announce that he wanted to go to Saudi Arabia. Enormous contract. What was it? 200 million euros per season. Again, it goes back to that money thing. Should ever anyone ever be paid 200 million pounds per, per year? Probably not, especially a guy who's already a multi, multi-millionaire. But that's another debate for another time. But now Real Madrid have a huge issue on their hands because they've got to replace their sort of talisman of the last few years. Yes, he wasn't as good last year as he was the year before when he won the Ballon d'Or, but that was mainly Still great, down to though, yeah, it? and that's mainly down to injury issues yeah. as well. Uh, and Vinicius Junior, you know, ultimately stepped up in in an unbelievable way last year, uh, and I back him to again next year. But that does create a massive hole in the most prestigious club in the world wanting to fill in that striker role, and I don't know whether Kylian Mbappe saw that and has now thought, you know, I actually want to go there now rather than waiting the year that he was going to uh, to go there. But it has impacts on what it means for Kane. It has impacts uh, on what it means for Man United's transfer targets, Bayern, Chelsea. All these top clubs want strikers this summer. And it feels like Real Madrid as the sort of apex predator in this search <laughs> Love that. are going to are going to get the first option. Uh, and then everyone oh else will God. kind of have to feed off the scraps. That there you go. Write that down, please. That is the title. Why Real Madrid? <laughs> Real Madrid are the apex predator in the 2023 summer transfer window. Wow, that's great stuff. So yeah, the future of the likes of Jack Grealish, Julian Alvarez, Rodrigo, or Vinicius Jr. as well could be affected here. What I have to think when he... So the big thing that people were talking about is the fact that he didn't have to communicate this yet. So he had it till August the 1st, and it was one where he had to sort of opt in instead of opting out. 
So he had time. So I think, as you say, he's seen what Benzema's done. He's seen that space there. And it's one of, I feel like I'm missing a sort of a poker play here, like some form of bluff. Because is it as simple, do you think, as I want to get this, I don't want to miss out on Real Madrid? And maybe an element of insecurity maybe with Mbappe and the thought that oh okay well maybe look what if if they go and sign Harry Kane and he's amazing they might not need me next year Finishes Junior scores 40 goals and he scores 30 is there any way it's for you know for something else do you think it's about you know is it something to do maybe with Saudi Arabia and, and their money and he wants even more money despite I think he's on 40 million a year at the moment do you think it's anything like that? Or do you think it's as simple as, I just don't want to miss out on Real Madrid? It could well be. I mean, he's done so many flip-flops for the last two summers. There's been so many different reports about what he wants. He has ultimately extended in the end last summer. But I think he's just gone so early, so he gives himself the maximum amount of options. Because, say, a club in two weeks' time signs Randall Colomani or Harry Kane. They'd obviously rather probably sign Kylian Mbappe, even though he has made quite clear over the last 18 months that he doesn't want to play what he terms the pivot, uh, which is the central striker. He doesn't want to be the guy that's asked to hold up the ball. He wants to be playing off the guy that's holding up the ball Mm. because he sees himself as the best creator in the world, the best dribbler, the best goal scorer as well, but doesn't just want to be profiled as someone that operates in the box, despite the fact that if he did that and that alone, he'd still be a sensational player, but he's just got so many other strings to his bow. So I think he's trying to give himself the maximum amount of options. But the Real Madrid question is quite interesting because he's actually not really a natural fit if he doesn't Mate. want to play as that nine. <laughs> I swear I've said this the last three weeks. I totally agree. It, it doesn't really make sense to me because no. Vinicius Jr. is on his on on path to be, well, I think he might already be a top three player in the world, to be honest, at least on the basis of last season. And they don't need to replace Vinicius Jr. And if Kylian Mbappe doesn't want to play centrally, we have seen him play on the right in the past, but that would often obviously stymie Rodrigo's development, who had such a good year last year. Um, but it does seem like a slightly strange fit. Yeah, because I think it's one of those where you go, well, good player, come here. Like, but it, actually, if you re- like, it's probably the one position that you, there's no need at all for any kind of... And actually, you need, even with Mbappe, you're still going to need that central striker, that pivot that he's talking about. To, to fix it all or to, to allow those, those players to thrive I mean Vinicius Junior maybe could go over to that right inside I agree with you I, the, I always consider him you can have different ways of phrasing players but I think he's certainly one of the top three most dangerous players when he gets the ball it's a huge concern like on his own it's like you have other players that kind of can ghost about and float about like Gundogan is incredibly dangerous but you're not really concerned about him and that's kind of part of his superpower but Vinicius, yeah, I mean, you guys have heard me on this podcast talk about that. So I totally agree with that in terms of that player profile. But would it be one where does Mbappe, regardless of how good Vinicius Jr. has been, he just gazumps anyone as a person? And therefore, Vinicius, you're going to have to either... And obviously, with all the, the woes that he's sort of had to go through recently, do you think there might be something in that that you could actually sell Vinicius Jr. for a hell of a lot of money now? But I guess you're not going to move forward, are you? That's the only concern. Yeah, it would be a strange move on the back of, I mean, I think he got over 20 goals and 20 assists in all competitions last year, Vinicius Junior. I think he put in one of the best individual performances of the season as well, away at Anfield. I think he got two goals and one assist that night and made Trent, I mean, that was a time where Trent wasn't playing particularly well, but made him look incredibly average. And Joe Gomez 
I don't think we'll ever probably recover from that. I think it no. will be sold probably this summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, bullying those two in that, that current form isn't probably the sign of how good he is, but he is just an exceptional player. It's it's a weird one with Vinicius Jr. because I feel like this is a time where he probably needs the most support ever in his career and his life. I mean, he literally had to watch the rival fans of you know, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, you know, hang an effigy off a bridge of him. Um, and he's been, you know, repeatedly given racist abuse throughout the entire season. He put together that, you know, brilliant but incredibly sad video of all the racism that he's had to suffer this season. And it's not something that anyone should obviously ever go through. But particularly, I think he's 22 or 21, um, playing in a foreign country, only arrived, what, four or five years ago. And it's, it's absolutely despicable. So, yeah. you know, that shouldn't... It won't probably factor into Florentino Perez's transfer decisions and there's an argument that it shouldn't. But at the same time, I do feel incredibly f sorry for him if Kylian Mbappe arrives and wants to play in the same position as him. Now, I think Florentino Perez would probably make it work and Mbappe might play down the centre or down the right. But it's definitely not just a natural fit. So it does it does leave other questions about whether Mbappe would be happy to join another club. Wow. Um, OK, yeah. let's give you some options then. So one, option one, Mbappe goes to Real Madrid. Kane doesn't go to Real Madrid. Kane goes to Man United. Cause, and so me me and Kai, Kai, my producer, we will... <laughs> I can read that, the text, actually. Because I saw the tweet, and then we basically... Kai is even worse than me. Kai lives in ripples now. <laughs> and we straight away... We just went, well, that means... Do, 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 do. <laughs> Where was it? <laughs> we had it. Like, literally. Okay. So I sent it. I went, Kane to United then. If he goes to Real, how much for? Oh my god, oh my god, I haven't seen this. The cha this changes everything. No Kane, Kane to United, Osman to Chelsea, Moani to Bayern, Rice to Arsenal. In that order. <laughs> He's so excited, I can tell. Uh, but yeah, so option one, Kane then doesn't go to Real Madrid. Kane goes to one of Man United, Chelsea, or Bayern Munich, who Bayern Munich have got a decent amount of money to spend and have got some sellable assets as well. PSG will then likely go for Paris-born Colo Muani, meaning Bayern can't get him. Bayern have been linked with Julian Alvarez recently, which means that he could be their alternative option. That would be interesting. Would he start? He wouldn't, would he? Would he? Yeah, yeah he would. Of course he would. Sorry, I was thinking Lewandowski's still there. Because there's, there's an amazing opportunity there. Uh, we'll talk about that in a sec. This could prompt Man City to go for a left-field sign to replace him, such as Neymar. Because the thing with Man City is, as strong as they are, and obviously they've won everything, they could, they, I mean, they could always spend money, obviously, but they, they didn't spend that outrageous amount last year. I think their net was, you know, in the, they were fine, weren't they, mm. last year? So you could, could imagine them going and buying an absolute juggernaut. Well, they've is, got a lot of potential departures as well. Gundogan, mm. Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, Cancelo. There's a lot of turnover at City. Yeah, yeah. I think... Okay, we'll get to option two, which involves them. So Mbappe to Real Madrid could also mean that Rodrigo leaves. He could well be uh, an option for Man City on that right-hand side. Mares uh, looking to leave. Uh, what looks like he's probably going to go to PSG or the Saudi League as well. That would make complete sense. And I'm pretty sure we've put Rodrigo in a uh, JLA transfer video, actually. But option two, Man City get Mbappe. <sighs> Don't. <What? laughs> Jack Grealish then has to either have a bench role or leave the club. So Grealish goes where all Man City players go, Arsenal. <laughs> Martin Lely then goes to Real Madrid instead of Mbappe. Ooh, wow. Let's play that one out. Okay, so first of all, first line, Man City to Mbappe. Oh, Man City to Mbappe. Man City get Mbappe. What does that world look like, Diggy? 
I mean, it's it's crazy for the Premier League. My mind is kind of exploding right now. Um, his link up with Haaland would be fascinating to watch. I don't think it feels that natural at the moment. There's, a lot, um, there's almost too much pace there. Isn't yeah, there? there's almost too much pace. And, and Grealish is so effective at linking up with Haaland because he's happy to kind of play the secondary role. Like Grealish has never actually been that obsessed or seemingly that obsessed with his goals and assist numbers. He's much more of a facilitator. He's dribbling into the final thirds always off the Cuts chain. Cuts inside as Cuts well. Cuts inside as well and links up really effectively with whoever's playing at that left midfield role as well. So I think Grealish and Haaland is more natural fit. Um, but Mbappe in the Premier League, yes, it would be frightening. And the, and the, often the best players, well, particularly last season or in the last couple of years, you know, left wing I think is the most competitive position in, in world football right now. Agreed, yeah. And Rashford, Martinelli, they had excellent years next last year, sorry. And Mbappe, I think, would just take it to new levels. Bit of a tangent here. Do you think I was thinking this yesterday? Do you think the left back position is struggling? Yes, because of the left wing position. Oh. I hadn't actually thought of that, but I've been saying this for ages. I can't really find any left backs around Europe right now when I'm, you know, when we've got to suggest people for clubs, or et cetera. Yeah. There, there was that top bracket a couple of years ago of David Alaba and Alfonso Davis and sure. Andy Robertson. But Robertson had a drop off last year. Alfonso Davis has had his injury issues. And short of that, you're looking at probably like Luke Shaw getting into the top five left backs in the world. And I think Luke Shaw's a great player, but there just doesn't feel like there's that much competition. Whereas at right back with Trent, Hakimi, Cancelo, Reese James, all at their best, you know, that's a really strong bracket of right backs. And then left wing, aside from the players we've already mentioned, you know, uh, Kavarat Skelia, Rafa Liao, it just feels like there's so many good left wingers yeah. around and not really any great right wingers except for Salah and Saka. I think this, I think that's been going on for quite some time, that left side and that focus there. Like, honestly, for the last, well, since Guardiola's been there at Man City, if you ever look at the average positions, that left side has always been so congested. It used to be David Silva would be over there and they'd just be popping about for it. Real Madrid, there's a similar thing. One team that's probably slightly different is is Liverpool because mm. they've always had Mohamed Salah. But yeah, I wonder if that is hurting left backs a little bit. And actually, in terms of, if you think of the sort of flow of a team, that sort of inver- those inverted players that you're seeing a lot of the time, Robertson doing really well was probably because there was that space for him to go down because you had those diagonal runs from, from Mane. But there's, yeah, there's very few. What I'll chat this at you. I think if Man City buy Mbappe, Man City don't do the treble, don't reach the same heights. Changes the dynamic of the team. I think they could even not win the title if they signed Mbappe. Interesting. I if mean, you are crowbarring him and Harlot, crowbarring. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. If you are crowbarring, I'm going to stay and stick yeah, with it. Can work. Yeah, crowbarring those two in the same team. In terms of that balance and flow of it all, I'm sure God will figure it out, but yeah. I, I, I think, I'm not sure they would have the same fluency. I, I agree with you. And also, I think Grealish's defensive work is really underrated as well. I remember that game, I think it was against Liverpool last year, and he trapped back and he made this amazing tackle in the box or an interception in the box, I think. Then went up the other end and I think got an assist in the space of two minutes. And I remember just being like, I haven't seen that for years. Yeah. And I've never seen Jack Grealish. I don't really remember that at Aston Villa. And he has just become this guy that is working so hard for the team. And you saw in the back end of last year, you know, keeping Phil Foden firmly out of the side on left wing. But, I mean, um, that's wild, isn't it? It's really? crazy. And no one saw that coming last summer uh, when Grealish really struggled in his debut season. I think he got three goals and three assists in the league. And look, his numbers, if you're going purely on numbers, aren't in that world-class category. But I think what he brings to that side is world-class. Totally. And uh, in terms of chances created in the Champions League last year, he was top, top of that yeah. one. Yeah. So how many, how many Man City players do Arsenal have to sign? 
to to win the Premier League. Because say Grealish, if you could get Grealish at Arsenal, would they would only do that if Martinelli is about to bounce? You would imagine. Mm. And actually, you then I'm not sure this one totally works because you then you then need a different left back, and you've currently got Zinchenko going off what we've just discussed there. And I guess Zinchenko could go and do it and overlap a little bit, but that's not really his thing. And you'll have just sold Tierney, who's probably going to go to Newcastle somewhere this year. So maybe that one doesn't work. Although Newcastle now do have FFP issues. I don't know whether you guys saw yesterday. They can only sign two players this summer. Really? Uh, because of FFP. It was reported by someone in the Telegraph. So pretty good source. Oh, wow. Yeah. What? I mean, how much on those two players? I don't think they specified that, or at least I didn't read the article. I think it might have been behind a paywall. Okay, sorry. Um, I but, set you up there, but that's not But, fair. yeah, I think they could still get Tierney, and they're looking at a central attacking midfielder, I think Sabosli or, or James Madison. Martinelli. Which would still be a good summer. True. Martinelli. I mean, I, but that, come back to what we said right at the start of the podcast. That's what I... I if I'm a Newcastle fan, I kind of like that. I like being sort of contained. In, yeah. yeah, I think that, that leads to, oh, I can't believe we've gone and reached for those heights and got there. That's what's... I think that's necessary to keep the sport thriving. Martinelli goes to Real Madrid just to finish that one off. That does feel like at some point you see him in that kit. I've got to say. Yeah. He's just such a similar age to Vinicius Jr. I just yes, think, he could get blocked. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just don't. I mean, unless, unless Vinicius Jr. goes to PSG, because PSG do need a kind of statement attacking signing this summer. I mean, we were talking with Finn before the podcast started about Zaha going there, Marcus Turan, Marco Asensio. But I think they had all those signings in mind built around Mbappe and Mbappe still being there with the star player. And I actually think that front line could have been quite nice. I don't think it's obviously got the star power of the Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, but it might work more effectively as a unit. But if Mbappe leaves, they need a superstar. And if he goes to Real Madrid, I think they can make an overture to Real Madrid for Vinicius Jr., pay us a decent amount of money back, and then Real Madrid can potentially use that to sign that number nine we've been talking about. Mm. So you could end up with a scenario of Mbappe and Kane going to Real Madrid and Bellingham in the same summer, which I do feel a bit sick about. Yes. I was just, I was just trying to find it quickly. I don't know what's the latest on Firmino. Because yeah. Firmino at PSG, if Mbappe was to stay, I think could be quite interesting, which is option three. There was, a, there was a lot of talk about Firmino a couple of weeks ago going to Real Madrid, which I thought was a really nice fit, actually, yeah. as that backup striker, potentially. And actually, his goal-scoring record last year, I think, was really underappreciated. I think it was his best since 1819, I think. Yeah, a really strong season yeah. in terms of the goals. Option three, then Mbappe stays. Real Madrid build uh, a god squad this summer. So I'm reading that. <laughs> Kai, a god squad. Can you explain that to me? This summer, with the likes of Kane and co. Mbappe then joins on a free next year, which displaces either Vinicius Junior, Rodrigo, could mean that Vinicius Jr. goes to PSG. Yes. Although, you need that central striker, though, as well, don't you? Mm, I think it'd probably be Marcus Turan, maybe, at at PSG. Big jump for him, isn't it? It is a big jump. Talk to me about him. How do you feel about him as a player? Because I think we're sort of now moving into um, a couple of Bundesliga players, Akala Mouani. But Turan, what's his ceiling for you? I think he's a very good player, don't get me wrong, but I'm much more excited about his brother, Kefren, um, who's a couple of years younger and looks exceptional. Like, I'm not going to pretend I watch Nice week in, week out, but what I have seen of Kefren Turam is really, really exciting. Marcus Turam had a great year the year before the year before last, then had a really poor year in 21-22 and then back to somewhere close to his best last year. But it's a good time... Well, it's not a good time for Gladbach to sell. I actually really take that back because they've lost Daniel Farker as their manager, Lars Stindl's leaving. They've lost Remy Ben-Sabaini, who's going to Dortmund as well. So this is 
the end of that sort of quite solid side that did get into the Champions League and I think even reached the last 16 a couple of years ago and lost to Man City. But Marcus Turam can play wide, but he has been used more centrally this year. He's quite similar in profile to Randall Colomani, can run in behind really effectively. He's obviously exceptionally quick. But his finishing... He's a bit thicker, isn't he? He's a bit thicker as well. But his finishing does blow quite hot and cold. Uh, I've seen him miss some pretty big chances uh, and often scores the ones you least expect him to score. He's got a sort of Lautaro Martinez vibe about him like that as well. But I, I really like Marcus Turam. And on a free, he's a great pickup for sort of all these sides. Yeah. I wonder, it'd be interesting to see what he looks to do. If you're his agent, what are you saying to him? Because I wonder, if you're his agent, it might be worth... You either want to get somewhere early... Or you probably want to wait to near the end, just because, like, once everyone's like not got who the picks that they wanted, yeah. you can get more. You know, he can get more wages. Once the predator's gone off, once yeah, once the FX predator has had its way with the transfer window, <laughs> then you'll be able to like, move that along. Yeah, because I, I sort of put put him forward for Man United just because it was such a steal, as much as anything. But I do, I would fear for him a little bit. Uh, Man United need to go and get. So they are linked with Colomorani, like a lot of people are. But it does feel like they need a really established centre-forward Man United to kind of take them up to that next level. But Colomorani is one of the biggest ripple effects, I think, because he could save Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea. Because I think his future could decide the fate of Declan Rice in a massive way because he's been I was surprised that I thought he would be kind of confined to sort of London clubs Man United at a push Declan Rice but from um, a couple of sources that close to me they suggested that he's not he, he quite likes the idea of the Bayern Munich move and I mean again in terms of his development be interesting I say development like he's so established now he's played so many games but to go to Bayern Munich I think playing in Germany as an English player must be quite appetising from that point of view. If you're not totally, you know, driven by by the money, because you can go and play in big games in a big league with incredible fan bases, but probably not the same kind of spotlight that you would do in the Premier League. How do you feel about Declan Rice and a move to Bayern Munich? Because it it is being sort of spoken about quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, the reports that I've read seem to suggest that Thomas Tuchel's not totally convinced by Kimmich and Goretzka as a duo, which is interesting. I think they have probably underperformed at international level, but they were still the duo that won Hansi Flick side the treble in 2020, not that long ago. And supposedly, Declan Rice would be brought in as that more sitting midfielder and use Joshua Kimmich's sort of otherworldly passing range. I think he is one of the best passers. Do you think that? You think he'd be that instead of Goretzka and using not using that energy of Declan Rice? Apparently, it is it is Rice as the sitter and, and Kimmich as the more yeah progressive passer, getting into the final third, getting the ball into the final third, rather. But I think that's a nice duo in that they can do a bit of everything if one yeah. of them's, you know, particularly in a good moment, etc. But Leon Goretzka seems like he might be on the move this summer. There was talk about Man United. And I think if Man United could swap... Marcel Sabitzer going back on loan and bring in Leon Goretzka, I think that's a really nice move for Man United as well. Yeah. Offers a lot of physicality, physicality in the middle of the park. And it feels like Man United are going to be set up to be, you know, not strictly a counter-attacking side next year, but focusing on their strengths, which is getting those wide men in open space, particularly Anthony and Rashford. That's kind of their best games, I think. Um, and Leon Goretzka is an absolute 
you know, ground-eating midfielder. He can cover so much ground so quickly. He's incredibly fit. And, like, have you seen the biceps on him? Like, he would <laughs> he would be fine in the Premier League. It's just crucial. It's crucial. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's a really good player. But So Rice would potentially go to Bayern. But I've got... I've just... I think Rice to, to Arsenal feels like it's almost done. And is such a London guy. Loves London. His family's all here. It is a big switch to go to Bayern. And also, he's young enough that he could do that super club move in a few years yes true uh, Gretzka's 28 I think in terms of because he uh, Ten Hag has kind of utilised that as an idea in terms of going okay let's just go and get the guy now like yes he's a little bit older so there's maybe not the same sell-on value that is one thing I, I wonder with that one is the what's happening to Man United in terms of their FFP and the players that they need to sell at the moment so moving forward do they need to actually you know make the squad a little bit younger, but they do need to strengthen in that midfield. Kolo Moani, we've talked around him a lot. Obviously, a lot of people know him from the from the World Cup and missing, missing that one chance. I hope that doesn't follow him around for the rest of his life. It was a great save. It was a great. A it was a great save. That's a very important point. He's really likely to go to Bayern Munich at the moment. And in terms of those striker positions, when we're talking about how it could save Man United, Arsenal, and Chelsea, what's really interesting here is that. If Bayern, if Bayern go and get him, that takes one sort of striker off the table, and would then mean that it's now time for Kane and Osserman to be to choose their their partners, and because otherwise Bayern Munich have got that money that they could go and get someone like Osserman instead. Maybe Kolomani wants to make that move. He said that he wants to be careful with his next move, but it does feel like that would be the likely one for him. It's a big jump up for him as well. But in terms of his development and the, the minutes that you'll get, as a striker, there's not a better move than going to Bayern Munich right now because they just don't have those options, do they? No, 100%. I mean, Chupa Moting's their only sort of out and out senior number nine and he's 34, I believe. And actually had a really good start under Nagelsmann last year, but you can't bank on that every year. Uh, and they do definitely need a new striker, which is why I was confused by the rumours linking them with Declan Rice when they've already got Conrad Limer arriving. They've got Ryan Gravenberg, who they haven't given any minutes to last year. Um, and I think he'd be a great pickup for a Premier League club. if you could He could be him. a good Man United yeah, player as well. Absolutely. And, and that little bit younger as well. Yeah, right? for sure. But Randall Colomani, I think people are concerned about how quick the rise has been because he was at Nantes the year before last. But he made the Bundesliga look pretty easy in a Frankfurt side that weren't exceptional at any point in the season. You know, they were solid, but they'd lost Philip Kostic, their main sort of creator. Yeah. And he was brilliant, Kolomani, in making the players around him a lot better. Jesper Lindstrom started getting linked with moves in around January time. Uh, Daichi Kamada looks like he's going to go to AC Milan. And this is a guy that got over, I think he got 15 goals, 11 assists. He did, yeah. And to, to provide those, that amount of assists as well, I think would surprise a few people. So his, his hold-up play... Those elements of his game are strong. He's a great channel runner and he's got a lot of composure when he gets in and around the box as well. You often see players and Osman sometimes looks a bit uncomfortable when he's trying to pick out a man in the box. But I think Colomani just has got this kind of smoothness to his game mm. uh, and has got this really nice languid running style and is pretty underrated in terms of his speed as well. I mean, we saw it in the World Cup. And I think people were generally surprised to see him play a fairly key role off the bench in the World Cup. You know, this is a guy that was at a pretty poor Liga club uh, the year before last. So massive respect to how he's, you know, carved out this incredible career for him. 
And I think it's a good move for Bayern Munich. He's going to be a little bit cheaper than Osserman as well. And that does matter to Bayern. They, they rarely spend huge amounts on deals. I think only De Ligt and Luca Hernandez they've spent over £70 million on. So to spend 130 120 on Osserman feels like a huge departure. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. Everyone's called, everyone wants Osserman, but they don't want to pay for Osserman. Yeah. That's the thing. Eighty-five million uh, is apparently what Frankfurt want for Moani. Is twenty-four? I thought he was actually younger than that. I think maybe because the rise has been quite quick. But you know, he is. I do think that's important to say because I think if he's, I wouldn't have been surprised if he said he's twenty twenty-one, and that is different. You know, as a as a human, like you haven't gone through. I think Rashford's a great example of that, where Rashford kind of burst on the scene and you're just living off adrenaline and that can last for as long as it lasts. But then there will come that sort of moment where you go, oh, okay, what's, you know, who am I? <laughs> like, what's going on with yeah. the world? Like, is everything going to be okay? Am I going to have a long career? Am I really this good? Like, all those things. And you have to kind of get through that to get to the other side of that. So I, when I see that he's 24, I quite, I quite like that, if that makes sense. Um, so if Bayern pays something like that, then it means that they will likely not be able to afford Declan Rice. And signing Moani also means that they won't get Kane or Osman, which means Kane could go to Man United and Osman could go to Chelsea or vice versa. How do you see, say we get to that point, mm-hmm. which I think is going to happen. I think he's going to go to Bayern Munich. Is it as simple as Kane, Man United, Osman, Chelsea? And, and if so, why? He's shaking his head, guys. I do not think Osman is going to go to Chelsea. I think Victor Osman's most likely to go to PSG. Because they have lost these superstars this summer. They need a statement signing to get their kind of project back on track. And he's the right age profile. He's the right calibre to really excite PSG's fans. And I think he's at the right level as well. And he's actually probably the perfect striker for Mbappe to play off. And Mbappe might just throw away the chance to go and work with him or stay for another year to go to Real Madrid, fulfil his dream to a certain extent. So I can kind of understand it. But Victor Osserman has also got a relationship with Luis Campos, their sporting director from his time at Lille. And he knows him well. And this is a guy that managed to, you know, turn Victor Osserman into a really exceptional striker at Lille on the back of a, a spell in, with Charleroi in the Belgian Pro League on the back of uh, sort of having a really difficult time at Wolfsburg where he contracted malaria and oh. dislocated his shoulder. Like the start of Victor Osman's career wasn't easy. And even the start of his Napoli career, as great as he looked when he was on the pitch, wasn't easy. He broke his eye socket and they thought he was going to lose his eye for a bit. Wow. Uh, he cracked it on Milan Skriniar's shoulder and yeah, they he had to have it reconstructed. So for him to turn around and win the Serie A golden boot, and he went off like an absolute rocket. Yeah, Napoli did slightly ease up. They seemed a bit drunk in the final couple of months. Yeah, but that's a good way. Of he it. would be he would be an awesome pickup for PSG, and I don't think they'd mind spending that sort of money when they've saved so much money on Messi's wages, on potentially Mbappe's wages, and probably with Neymar having gone to Saudi as well. Yeah, uh, look, twenty six goals, four assists. That's the one thing I would say. I'm not sure he totally does fit Mbappe in terms of his hold-up play. Like, I think he's... I, I, I love his his movements fantastic. Mm. In terms of his technical hold-up play, I'm not sure it's totally there. Maybe, you know, those assist numbers aren't fair to the fact that, you know, you've got Kvaret, Skelly, I could never say his name, and so much quality there. So, his you know, the point of him is to stay in the box. But that might allow Mbappe to kind of be a bit more of a creator as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of the guys providing all the goals for them. 24 as well. See, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, Moani kind of feel like he's this young upstart and Osman's been here for ages, but actually they're the same age. I I think it's... it's. I don't see Man United doing this one, this Osman one, because I get... Well, I guess it's if Kane leaves, isn't it? 
Because if Kane leaves, they they move on to to one more. I think they wouldn't go. I don't think Man United would go for Muani because I think they would look at their own squad right now. And this, I mean, this is quite pie in the sky stuff. But like, I think they'll see Martial and what he's been there, and he's been fine. But he's been, you know, at seven injuries last year. He's been generally injury prone. Sometime and sometimes he's just not been up to it. Mm. And I wonder if they would have that similar fear with Muani. They want a sure fire thing. So maybe they would end up to going to Osman, but I don't think they'd overpay in the way that Napoli want them to, which brings me back to <laughs> Chelsea and, and Napoli. I guess the one thing with Chelsea is like, have they have, have they, they the literally run out of cash now to, to go and get Osman? Where do you see Chelsea going? If say they go and get they're able to get Osman, they're not gonna get Kane. That's just not gonna happen. Kane's not that stupid. But if they were able to get Osman, does that totally revitalise Chelsea for you? Like what's Because I think a lot of people are looking at how bad Tottenham have been and how bad Chelsea have been. But in terms of that sort of, that bounce back ability, mm-hmm. Tottenham feels like they're on a tiny little trampette. <laughs> and Chelsea on like a proper trampoline. We go, well, no, if it's all clicks, then look, you've got a kind of good team. But then, there's, you know, it's been um, spoken that 15 players might be on their way out at Chelsea. So how do you... S- how do you see bringing in one star striker changing Chelsea? Do you think that could provide the uh, a decent leap? It could make a massive difference. I think it could absolutely make a massive difference. Look, I mean, even last year, their defence wasn't atrocious. It was their attack. Their attack, and it has been for the last couple of years. All their star strikers for a number of years, probably since Diego Costa, have really struggled to establish themselves. Victor Osserman would make a big difference. I think he is very able to hit the ground running in the Premier League. They've also got Christopher Nkunku coming in. That hasn't officially been announced, but it is going to happen, yeah. apparently. And um, yeah, that that feels like a great fit as well. I really like Nkunku. It's a shame that he's walking into a club going through the sort of turnover that it is, because I do think he could be really exceptional in the Premier League. He's got a little bit of everything, really versatile as well. And then you could have a revitalised Raheem Sterling. I don't think many people think that his career at the top is done on the basis of last year. So yeah, that is a really solid front line. Hopefully Mudrick improves as well. Felt very sorry for him last year coming into the Premier League on the back of such little football um, because of the situation in Ukraine. But there are just so many unknowns with Chelsea at the moment, it, it, particularly in midfield and who is going to be their star striker, who's going to be their goalkeeper going forward. I mean, and also we just say it off the bat, like selling 15 players. That is an enormous <laughs> amount of players to shift. Yeah. It, and there'll be loads. They still have 25 left. Yeah, that's that's, it's going to be absolutely crazy. And for Pochettino to go from Socre to the first couple of weeks of this Chelsea job, it, it's absolute madness. It's the I same amount of players awesome. he needs to get minutes yeah. to. <laughs> is Osserman, in your opinion, flop proof? No, At Chelsea. Because, because of his injury record. Because of his injury record. I think his scoring record is actually really underrated. Over the last three seasons, he scored in Syria, which is a slightly inferior league and easier for strikers to perform in, but actually deserves its respect in its own way. He scored at the same rate as Harry Kane. So this is a very good goal scorer. And yes, he doesn't have as much to his game as Kane in terms of his hold-up players, ability to drop deep. Kane's one of the best passers in the Premier League. Osman is not one of the best passers in Serie A, let alone the Premier League. So they are very different. And Osman's injury record is the thing that I am most concerned about. But whenever he's been on the pitch, he has found a way to find goals. He's exceptional in the air. Um, and I think he, and actually, yes, he might not have the hold-up player as polished a hold-up play as someone like Kane, but his way that he dropped deep and played these bounce passes with Lobotka and Gisa, uh, Zielinski last year were so crucial to how Spalletti's side built up, and it was really beautiful to watch at various points. So I think he's got a, 
a fairly solid all-round game, but flop-proof is almost impossible at Chelsea in particular and uh, with that injury record. And importantly is a word that is the copyright of James Alcott. <laughs> flop-proof. Oh, I like that. Sorry. Flop-proof's mine. Uh, right. Let's talk about some... Um, some outgoings of Man United and Chelsea. Still loads to discuss here. We've got to talk about Messi into Miami. And we'll come back to the Apex Predator at the end of the podcast. But Man United and Chelsea, that's... I mean, there's going to be so much change. There's going to be so much change. Fill your boots. I know. So Man United, in terms of their outgoings, it could de- it could decide the fate of three managers next season. Get ready, guys. Get ready. So Alanga, Sancho... I want to ask you about Sancho. Mm. Maguire, De Gea, Henderson and Fred could all leave Man United this summer. If all of these players leave Man United, uh, they would be in a good FFP position to make signings this summer. We did a podcast talking about the change in ownership. as a little while ago, but not much has happened. Uh, well, lots happened, but generally not much has happened in terms of the total takeover of Man United. So go check out that. Uh, podcast because we also spoke about FFP and the problems of Man United. It was really interesting because they just have not sold players for money over the last few years. So yeah, go check that one out uh, on the uh, the feed. So Man United wants sixty million for Sancho. What a turnaround that is for Sancho in his career. With Spurs and Dortmund being the clubs linked at the minute. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Go back with your hat in your hands, back to Dortmund. If Man United get this for Sancho, they could maybe even make a move for Neymar with him being exclusively linked to Man United at the moment. The outgoings of Man United could allow them to make moves for Mount, Kane, Kim Min Jae, Declan Rice and Hoyland as well, who you did a profile on your Player Profiles podcast, which I have absolutely binged. If Honestly, I loved it. Really, really good. Thank okay. you. So, guys, go check that out. We'll put a link in the description to that. Um, so, if you want to know more about players, nice and quickly, that you can then sort of regurgitate on football videos like I do, <laughs> then that is the uh, podcast for you. Or down the pub. So, there's a lot of players that could come in. and I, Kim Min Jae, I want to ask you about as well. But it depends on if they can sell them. Without selling players, first, they run the risk of an FFP breach. Hopefully all these FFP breaches actually mean something this Mm. year. The ripple of this could be that they leave their transfers late and may not get the desired players and instead sign other players instead at the end of the window. Let's start with Sancho then. And it helping Postacoglu's future as a manager or, you know, start as Spurs manager. How do you feel about Jadon Sancho? His move from Bundesliga to, to Man United, what's kind of gone on there and the fact that they might be selling him? It's a, it's a sad one. It's the one I really wanted to work out because I loved watching him at Dortmund. I thought he was exceptional. And I think it helps that the Bundesliga is more of a counter-attacking league. There is far more space to operate in. And he had this flying right wing back or right back in Ashraf Hakimi making so much space for him. And it felt like when he joined Man United, he was playing in front of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who does have various skills as a footballer, but is not particularly good in the final third. Actually, he has got a lot better, but still not very good in the final third. And Sancho didn't have anyone to sort of play those quick passes that he likes to do. He's never really had that burst of acceleration. And yes, he can beat a man, but he can't beat a man and extend the gap between them before burning down. To, you know, it needs to be done in tight spaces. So having players that he can link up almost, tele, you know, showing a bit of telepathy. Yeah, or, uh, or them stretch the, the pitch in the play. Make space for him and then the he play. can drive inside as well. And he was exceptional at Dortmund. I still think there's a great player in there. I think... I don't know what's happened off the pitch and I wouldn't feel in a position to comment on it, but he clearly has struggled with his mental health seemingly at various points and I wish him all the best with that. But I do, 
it, it felt very telling that United went and spent a serious amount of money on a right winger last summer. And yeah, it, it felt kind of like they were preparing for this summer to potentially let them go. That's interesting. I, I do like the idea of him at Spurs. But I then do. where does it, what, what does that mean for Kulisevsky? Well, Hasn't that, signed that, permanently. I no, exactly. So they haven't kind of triggered that yet. Well, I think he needs to make that call of, you know, do you want him just because he's in the room or do you want him... At, do you actually want him? Because that's the problem. Look, Conte, Conte ball is not angible. No. It's so different. And so you just have to accept that and let kind of give him give him time and give him the keys. So if you're going to do that, there's going to be a lot of players that probably were good that you might have to move on. It's tricky, isn't it? I do li- I like Kulisevsky. And I think in terms of sort of the pressing that Postacoglu wants, you know, he's, his fitness is, you know, incredible. And because there's probably some players in that squad, you go, have they actually got the legs here? So I, I feel like he, you know, having both of them wouldn't be the worst thing. But I think there's different ways you can use Sancho as well. I think he would really work well in those sort of tight spaces as one of those front three. He's played quite well as a 10 at, at points at Man United as well. Totally. But uh, coming back to your point, I think it's, I think he needs tight areas. And I think that would occur with with what Postacoglu would do in terms of pressing, being high up the pitch. And then, you know, those little passes in terms of their possession. So I think it'd be a great one to see. And if they can get him, I mean, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I, what I'm wary of saying, but I think people will be thinking, is a fear that Sancho's the next Deli Alley. Mm. And I really hope that's not to have a go at Deli Alley, but Deli Alley's career has got you know, obviously become wayward in terms of you know the metrics that we look at a player's career. So I think. I can imagine Sancho going and getting that warm embrace of Postacoglu. Because I think Postacoglu is like that. He could be. And I, I, I played golf with Joe Tomlinson last week. And he's like, yeah. he's like, Postacoglu is a disaster. He said, and I'm on it. He said, after they lose that first game, we'll see the fixtures come out. They're going to play Man City, Brighton. And he's been Man outed because publicly on our shows, he is. Is he not, being careful? He is, he is being very Right, careful. I'm outing him. I'm outing <laughs> you, Joe. Say it with your chest, say what you mean. He says he thinks is he, he, he probably said this to you as well. He said, just because two world class, if you had this, just because two world class managers haven't worked, that doesn't mean your policy should change from not having from having world class managers. I think it's a pipe dream to think that they could attract Lewis Enrique or Nagelsmann That's what I screamed at. Like, what, 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 what planet are you on, Joe? <laughs> That's like totally like Ange Postacoglu, they also, you know, attracting in a manager that sees this as a great honour to be at Spurs, like the pinnacle of his career and he deserves a chance at a top Premier League club on the basis of what he's done, not just at Celtic, but Yokohama Marinos, you know, Brisbane, what he did with Australia. You know, this is a guy with, who's pretty much succeeded wherever he's been, plays an interesting brand of football, which I think goes along way when Spurs it's going to be very difficult for them to end this trophy curse in the next few years when there is this behemoth in Man City and other sides way ahead of them right now as well so playing much more entertaining football and he's got a good track record I like the appointment I love the appointment as well so but Sancho could be very very helpful Um, and and the other thing with it Kane's going to go yeah like that changes how you should look at Tottenham that's another thing you know I can see it now is you will have unprepared pundits throwing that at Tottenham you know you haven't got the same points as Conte you've got, you've got the same even got Harry Kane if, if Harry Kane's not there you have to look at Tottenham differently but even if they choose to keep him they have just turned down what 80 to 100 million pounds for Kane because they don't want to replace him this summer but they want to replace him next summer with no money I don't understand the <laughs> yeah, logic yeah, yeah, it is totally so is. flawed you've got to sell it <laughs> got to sell it totally agree uh, if Fred goes to Fulham which would be a great move mm. I think for everyone I mean maybe Fred would be a bit disappointed but anyway 
It strengthens West London's great. It strengthens their midfield and minimizes the threat of second season syndrome. It could lead to Palina maybe moving on. Should be interesting. Be interesting to see if they can hold on to it. I'm amazed there's not been any. I saw links with West Ham. The other Did day. you? Hmm. Hmm. As like a pure destroyer, very different player to Declan Rice. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they use Pakatar. Uh, mm. That's true. Does he drop a bit deeper then? But yeah, if it goes to Fulham, it could work. And uh, if none of them leave, it could mean that the United squad can't compete and Eric Ten Hag walks or is oh. sacked. <laughs> and they lose 9 0 to Liverpool next year. <laughs> so it could, I mean, but it is, it will be interesting somewhere. Because the other problem is that without new owners, I've had that at QPR when we, that we were selling the club, but we hadn't sold it yet. So we bought Danny Gabadon, no offense to Danny Gabadon, and DJ Campbell and Jay Bothroyd in our first season in the Premier League. Well, we Elite. need a little bit more than that <laughs> because they didn't want to. They didn't want to spend money because it's it's coming out of literally coming out of their pockets instead of your ability for it to sort of come back round. I want to ask you about Kim Min Jae because if Man United are able to buy some players, and that's the fun bit, what players would you like to see, especially out of these? There's five here, okay. You've got to leave two on the table. Okay. Say. So you've got Mount, Kane, Kim Min-jae, Declan Rice, and Hoyland. If, in terms of what, who could go on to do great things for, the, for that club, if you had to leave two out, who would you leave out? So difficult. I love Kim Min-jae as a player, but I don't think he's as necessary as a lot of those other ones. I think first two in the door would be Kane and Hoyland. Uh, you could finally get rid of Anthony Martial, which I think does need to happen. I like Anthony Martial. I wanted it to work for so long, but his body, I'm sorry, it just it doesn't yeah. work to full effect. Tell me about very patronizing. Tell me about um Hoyland. So Hoyland's really exciting. So I mean he was bought uh, last summer from Sturm Glatz and was a bit of a bolter in Syria. No one really saw it coming. He was kind of the Syria Evan Ferguson. Like no one was really talking about him to any great effect. And he, he broke into Gasparini's side around January time. Really good timing for them because Duven Zapata and Luis Muriel have been holding up the fort there in terms of their striking. Not just holding up the fort, you know, getting them to Champions League quarterfinals, etc. are getting a bit old and are increasingly injury prone as well. So Hoyland was paired with Adamola Luckman, who was also one of the sensations of Serie A last year. Who I think should go to Palace. Oh, nice. I like it. I like it a lot. And yeah, Hoyland is... He, he gets linked with Haaland all the time because their names are quite similar and <laughs> yeah, they're Scandinavian. And they're both blonde. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's just quite lazy. But he is a bit of a last shoulder um, player. He's very tidy in the box. But he is very raw. He is really raw. Um, he hasn't had a lot of football in a top five league. And I did worry about him being brought into Man United as their only striker this summer. It felt like a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I wanted him to be the backup because he's only 20 as well. But he did look really exciting in some games, scored a hat-trick for Denmark. And um, yeah, looks like he's got a lot to his game. But as I say, just so early. Yeah, I agree with you. So I don't know if you do the same thing as me, but I often Y-scout binge. Mm. And I did that with him. And normally you get a, you know, it allows you to get a bit more of a sort of balanced view on someone. And that is it. He's so raw. And for him to go in and be the first choice it's massive it's just so dangerous for, for Man United I think he's better off staying where he is for for a season or even maybe you know if you want to get him because you really believe in the potential maybe you sign him and and loan him back or because I think with the Champions League he's not going to get he's not going to get the minutes is mm. he I, I would have thought but I think that there's an exciting playing that player there it could be one that it could be a bit I want to say Timo Werner-ish 
in terms of like it just mm, he could not have not the refinement yeah. needed to to sort of step into to Man United. Mount, what do you think about Mount? I like Mount. I like Mount. I don't think yeah. If you were getting me to list my top three, I can't remember who that. So it's Kim and so Jay. Mount Kane, Kim and Jay, Rice and uh, Hoyland. I mean, Rice would be exceptional as well. Does need to. The, the weird thing about last summer's business with United is they brought in Ericsson and Casemiro, who both probably need to be replaced in a couple of years' time. Like, you know, it's great for the time being, but they do need to start thinking about that central midfield option, particularly if they're offloading Fred and McTominay eventually, uh, you'd have thought. And I, I do like Mount to Man United. It feels like a sort of signing that Sir Alex Ferguson would have been all over. But I think his best position is further forward than they want to play him, potentially. And I don't know whether it's as natural a fit in a in a four three three as people seem to think. Uh, we haven't really seen him do it that often for Chelsea. I know that I was reading an article uh, with an, an interview, sorry, with him the other day, and he was saying his best position he thinks is as an eight, uh, in oh, a, be- a bit of a deep, li- bit of a deeper lying role than we sort of perceive him as. Um, so maybe he just sees this as his dream opportunity to work there. He offers, you know, offers a lot of energy, a lot of pressing, but he's coming off a poor season. Um, don't, you know, even his biggest fans would admit that. Um, and yeah, wasn't great last year. Did have his injury issues, of course. So in terms of what they need the most, he probably is in there ahead of Kim and Jay, because I still think Rafael Varane is a great player when fit, though. Um, but they do feel like they need midfield options more than centre-back options, but they definitely need strikers more than anything. So I'm going Kane, Hoyland and Mount. Okay, very good. I should probably put mine forward, shouldn't I? I do like him in general. He reminds me of Ruben Diaz a bit. Mm. Like, loves a block. Proper defender. Proper defender. Sticks his head there without even thinking about it. Big guy as well. Big guy. Reads it really well. Uses his body really well. I I do think that Man United... Do you know if Okay, here's my three and here's why. The three I would go for, if you could get Kim Min-jae, Kane and Rice and you get them in that team and you get them playing well and you get Declan Rice just being everywhere alongside Casemiro, so he's a bit more box to box. You allow Fernandez to thrive and not really think about too much else. Kane scores 25 goals. You've got Kim Min-jae, Martinez and Varane as a sort of, you know, three centre-backs to keep you safe. That's a team that could really push. Yeah. If it all goes... Like, Arsenal, what went so it well for them... It should be as good as Arsenal last year. Yeah, and, and what went well for Arsenal was that they had... It was the same team, which people kind of threw back at them at the end. It's like, no, like, the be- teams that win titles, you know, you can you can reel off the eleven. So that's where Man United need to get to. And I think what they did brilliantly, and I wasn't sure about it, was someone like Casemiro go, plonk him in there, off you go don't have to worry about him. And I think they're still in that stage where they need a couple more of those because you can't fix it all in one go a lot of the time. I do think they need to sort out the right back position and have a bit more there. Not a fan of Dallow. I think he's... I think... So, over the years, there will be Man United players. There would be Man United players. That, and I know he's Portuguese, but there'd be Man United players that would get England caps because they're playing for Man United. Mm-hmm. And then they would often go to Sunderland. Yeah, <laughs> right? we love them. <laughs> yeah, and, and it doesn't mean that they're bad, bad players, but that was actually more of their level. And uh, that's how I feel about Deleu a little bit. I think he's kind of got there and he has a few games where he does okay. And he's competent, he's fine. But I think in terms of what you're after, in terms of fullbacks these days, meh. So you're talking like a Darren Gibson or a Wes Brown-esque player? He's... Like, what's Kieran the Richardson. difference between him and Fabio? 
Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Fabio in his prime was fine. But then he then he went and played I for QPR. I always his brother. Um, I thought his Raphael, brother was, yeah, yeah, his brother was Sorry, yeah. But, um, we got the wrong one, I think. Yeah, but I, like, I don't mind Dallow. I think he looked a lot better last year than he has in previous years. He'd be a great backup, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's what I mean. I don't mind him either, but is he awesome? No. He's not awesome. That's That's my thing. And if it's... This is Man United. Then you've got to do that. <laughs> Chelsea. What will Chelsea's window hold? So they want Casado. Now, Gundogan not leaving Man City could affect Casado's decision here. There's your ripple effect. Potential outgoings. I mean, so many as we spoke about 15, but Hudson Adoy, Havertz being linked with Real Madrid. I heard Rimedy was on last week's podcast. He was fantastic, by the way. He was saying, I saw a tweet of him, this is the definition of falling upwards. <laughs> Havertz got the move to Real Madrid because he was linked with them. Kovacic, who looks like he's going to Man City. Kante, of course, is gone. Gallagher, which is an interesting one as well. Mount and Abamyang. So all in all, it's reported they want to sell those 15 players. If they're able to sell all of these, which is a lot, as Doogie said, they could likely go for Casado due to Kovacic going to Man City, which has stemmed from Gundogan possibly leaving. But if Gundogan does a U-turn, it could prevent Kovacic from leaving and make it harder for Chelsea to justify the Casado move. If they go for Casado, they may use Levi Colwell as a bargaining tool for the agreement, which is interesting. Because obviously he was at Brighton last year. I thought he's, I thought they'd signed him, but it was only online. Kepa or Mende could also go with Andre Onana, heavily linked to Chelsea, which I think would be obviously fantastic for Chelsea. I loved how uh, positive he was in terms of... You know when you see you see certain players in certain positions, you go, "Oh, that doesn't look right." And in that Champions League final, the two two of the centre backs sort of being behind Anana mm. at times is that a really really common thing with Inter Milan and Anana? It's a very common thing with him. Yeah, yeah. he did the same thing at Ajax. I mean, Sami Handanovic, their previous goalkeeper, did nothing of the sort. Really, yeah. it's just a pure shot stopper, and, and was getting worse of that as as time went on. I think picking up Anana on a free when he had had that drugs ban, which he you know, did that Players' Tribune article, you know, protesting his innocence and no one else was really looking at him. I think it's a really smart pickup. Yeah. And it would solve, solve that goalkeeper situation, which has been interesting. Kepa and Mendy, you know, both sort of wondered, are they good enough or not? Mendy as well sort of really fallen off. I was chatting to my mate, he's a Chelsea fan, he's saying he just got so, he just got really lucky for a year. Which I think is harsh, but like he was great in that Champions League run, wasn't he? But so good. I think people. I mean, he finished. I think he was goalkeeper of the year, UEFA goalkeeper of the year. And yes, on basis of achievement, he should have. But all those UEFA awards are a bit silly. Like Mendy's just never been the best goalkeeper in Europe. Never been I mean, close to it. No, I mean I think what he has like that incredible wingspan and like you say, kind of a shot stopper. And maybe those goalkeepers are kind of getting, especially for teams that want to be top six teams. Or, which sounds like a weird phrase, but you know what I mean. Mm. He's just, you've got to be better on the ball. Yeah. Because that's how you're going to create overloads now. Uh, Kai Havertz's transfer will hold a lot of interest because if he leaves, Chelsea will be able to go big on a striker. Uh, Arsenal are linked with Havertz. Uh, could anyone from Arsenal leave if Havertz comes in? And Ketia, Trossard. See how Havertz going to Arsenal? I think it's a really strange one. I I I, I can't I'm figure out Havertz. Like, yeah, what what is he? I am confused as well. <laughs> I think at Bar Leverkusen he was best as a kind of 10 but he did play as a nine he played off the right as well but they used to break as well though yeah, didn't they and there was so much more space and there's nothing yeah. about his Chelsea performances albeit in a side that has gone through so much turnover he joined a new country really young he's had a couple of injury issues got I think he got COVID twice as well but there's nothing I've seen that makes me think god you look like a Real Madrid player 
or even good enough for a team that wants to win the league next year in Arsenal. I don't see it. I mean, yes, he could cover potentially for Saka on the right wing, but he's not particularly quick. And he doesn't really, for a big guy, have particularly physicality as well. I mean, no. te- I think technically he's actually quite good on the ball. But in terms of being suited to a Premier League hustle and bustle and against sides against Chelsea, I always, th- always think Chelsea are just so slow and ponderous over the last few years yeah. on the ball. And it's such a deep block that they're facing. And Havertz just doesn't have the tools to unlock it. I think maybe what's worth remembering. Now, the, when these links are sort of happening and these rumours are happening, you would imagine that that possibly because Chelsea are willing to sell and happy to sell. But how Chelsea have played and how they're going to play are probably two different things with Pochettino. I do wonder if, could he, if you think Deli Alley at Tottenham. Mm, I thought you were going to go here. Yeah. You know, Deli Alley, you thought was a midfielder or a 10. With Kane in that team, he wasn't really. He was sort of like... Second striker. He was a second striker, yeah. And so I wonder if there is a place for him there because he, you know, he's got a similar frame and I think that that could work for him. But yeah, it's it's an odd career he's kind of having. Which, but I think the thing that people need to remember about Chelsea, all those players, I think they get lost with it with Mount as well. Is that they're all rubbish. They've all sorry. They've all been rubbish. Sorry, they've all been rubbish. That doesn't mean they are rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, such an interesting time with Chelsea because actually a lot of the players that they're kind of letting go are the, are the few that have been at least six and a half out of ten consistent 100%. for them. Uh, who who do you think would go on and do the best out of uh, this list? I'm really putting you under pressure here. Hudson Odoi, Havertz, Kovacic, Kante, Gallagher, Abamyang, Mount. Maybe let me zone in onto some of these English guys. Hudson Odoi, Gallagher, Mount. And actually, Ruben Loftus Sheik linked with AC Milan uh, as well. Who would you like to see, you know, spread their wings? Mount. 100%. I think he deserves more than what a lot of Chelsea's online fan base, I would say it's only online, have been given him over the last 18 months. And even when he was exceptional under Tuchel um, and under Lampard, actually, in that in that first year under Lampard, you know, there were still a lot of doubts around him from Chelsea fans. And they seem to refuse to accept that, yes, he's not a perfectly well-rounded player. And yes, he's not particularly outstandingly creative. But this is a guy that was capable of playing in a number of positions exceptionally well first name on the team sheet I think they never really appreciated him a lot of the Twitter sphere at least didn't Uh, so I'd like to him to go on and really establish himself as a top player because he he has that potential I think some of those other names Hudson-Odoi is a very strange one very strange one always comes up very well on metrics if you're into your metrics like his dribble numbers are always exceptional but you just watch him and he's not been favoured by any manager he's ever worked under and there's been a lot now. And he's not he barely got any minutes under Xabi Alonso last year at Bar Leverkusen. And was talking publicly that he really liked Xabi Alonso. He's a really good communicator. He had really interesting tactics. So it wasn't like they had a falling out. He just wasn't picked. And he's getting to an age now where you really need to be starting to get regular football. And, you know, there's a debate that some of these young players are playing too lit- uh, too much football, sorry, the likes of Saka, Bellingham, etc. But Hudson-Odoi has barely played any football at any stage. Yeah, and it just, again, injuries has, has hurt him. 22 now. I think the fact that they went and got Nonu Madueke at Chelsea is like, That's it, is, it. it is over. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, like, say, Adamola Lookman, I think, yeah, there's such a player there, especially, you know, what he did as a youngster. I think they all thought he was going to, he was the one mm. uh, with that, that England under 17 side as well. So I, I'd love to see him go and do something special. It'd be interesting to see where he would be. Bayer Leverkusen last year. Interesting to see if he stayed out there. Do you think he should stay out there? Or do you think he should 
come back to the Premier League and crack on? It depends. I'd really be concerned about what club he was going to join in the Premier League that would look at him right now and think, I, I need to get someone like that. I mean, someone like Wolves have always been really short of goals, um, but they're actually pretty good for wide talent. Is he going to go join a side like Forest that just survived last year? Everton? I don't think that's probably the best move for him. I'd probably do another move abroad. Um, maybe maybe to Syria. Um, potentially, I mean, Juve are losing Angel Di Maria. Would they want to try Hudson-Odoi on loan for a year? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Quite like the idea of Fulham. Doesn't have to move. Mm. That could Willian's not getting any younger. Different Solomon kind of might be, can play on both sides. Yeah. Not re signing. Right. We're going to have a break and then we'll be back talking about Messi and the Apex Predator. <laughs> Messi to Inter Miami will decide João Cancelo's club next season. You heard it here first. So Messi has gone. Do you know what it actually hit me this morning? Like Messi's gone. Like he's gone. Like he's left Europe. Like and normally, why have I not done a video on that? I've, I've found asking myself. Like feels like it should be bigger than it is, but somehow we kind of just happened and we're like, okay, bye. Yeah, we've noticed that at Football Daily as well. I think Messi mania of a few years ago has really dropped. People just yeah. don't seem to care as much as they once did, which Amazing. is weird. I think it is bizarre, to be honest, but I think everyone was just, as soon as he won that World Cup, everyone was like, oh, it's perfect. It's done. You know, he can do what he wants. Now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. just interest has dropped in him. There is, yeah, there's been an exhale, isn't there? And it's just like, you just, Lionel, you just go do what you'd like to do. Go play in pink. So, and he's, he's got a cheeky little deal there. I mean, interesting what Apple are trying to do with their links with MLS and obviously TV rights with such or streaming rights now, such a big part of it all. And we spoke about it last week as well. So it's quite interesting is how that Saudi Arabian money will affect different leagues. One league we didn't talk about was MLS. And because the sort of strategy of going, getting those best players at the end of their career is something that MLS has done for some time and obviously starting to miss out on some of those those different players. But they got Lionel Messi. Uh, so with Messi leaving PSG, it opens the door for a big change at the club for PSG. They are close to, or have, by the time you listen to this, signed Asensio, which I don't totally get, mm. if I'm honest, um, who play that similar role as Messi. But with the superstar leaving, they may get another superstar through. The, they'll have to. So who do they go for? Do they go for Mares? Do they go for Zaha? Quick one, Mares or Zaha? Which one would you prefer? Is out of those two for PSG? Oh, probably Mares. Yeah, I agree. More, a little bit more, more star quality. No offense, Finn. Yeah, he's next to me. <laughs> he's throwing hands at me right now. Um, but yeah, I'd go, yeah, Victor Osman, of course, and then Mares on the right would be lovely. But then they have just signed Asensio, who plays off the right as well. But I kind of with you. I, I loved Asensio to Villa because that felt like a really fun signing. Uh, and he could go be the biggest fish in that Villa pond. Whereas yeah. at, at PSG, he's just going to get swallowed up. It's same the same thing. thing. It's the same thing if Ziyech had gone there on loan in January. I was like, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know how much he's getting there. I wonder if he would have got the same amount at Villa or, or not. I mean, go live in Paris would be nice, I guess. Do I agree with you, by the way. I think Morris Morris scores a lot of goals, I think, mm. for PSG in that league. Uh, he's, by the way, kind of unlucky in terms of, you know, the final few rounds of the Champions League. It scores so many goals in the Champions League. Every single year. Maybe Brilliant. it's just the group stage, stat padding, who knows. Yeah, the year before last when they got knocked out in the semi-finals. I remember he was kind of their main man in the yeah. knockouts. Yeah, yeah he was, he was, he was. 
Do City then go out and sign someone like Dembele, Komen, or even Neymar? Is Neymar going to move this summer? That feels like the next move. Can Man City use Cancelo as a bargaining tool in any of these moves? I mean, what amazing sort of change in, in outlook of players. I think going back to that point about Chelsea, you see that a lot. Where if they've had if they're off the back of a bad season, then that means they're they're rubbish. Cancelo was like everyone was going crazy about Cancelo, like he's the best in the world and that is it forever. And literally just like six months and he was out on his ass. It's amazing. How do you feel about Cancelo? Is there any way you think he could go, or do you think Man City should be using him as that bargaining tool? I I thought Cancelo's spell at Barn was going to go a lot better than it did, to be honest. Um, I think he's a really good player. Yes, he maybe has flaws in terms of he can't really handle not being one of the key men in a team. Um, but, you know, we've all, we all like to be the main man and feel appreciated and you can kind of get it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I thought that spell was going to go a little bit better. At the same time, the option to buy of 70 million euros always felt incredibly high for Bayern. I didn't think they were ever really going to do it. Nagelsmann obviously got fired. He got he initially brought him in. So that felt like a, a real change. But the Arsenal links do really interest me, actually, because they were linked to Castagna yesterday, who feels like much more of a backup decision. So, But then the fact that they're signing a right-back maybe, sees, maybe seems like they have lost faith in their ability to get Mark Gehi and want to use Ben White as their backup to Saliba or their starting centre-back. I'm not sure how that's really going to work. And so they'll probably have three top right-backs in White, Tomiyasu and Castagna, which feels a little bit strange. Um, doesn't feel like the best use of funds, but maybe there's some amazing relegation clause in that and they can get him for very cheap, Castagna that is. Um, but Cancelo, I think he he could be the main man at a number of clubs and actually probably fits Real Madrid better than most of these clubs. Look, Danny Carvajal has really aged a lot in the last few years and is no longer the player that he once was. And Cancelo to Real Madrid, it would complete this amazing CV of clubs. He'd have played for Bayern City, Inter, Juve and Real Madrid. That's clever. It would be unreal. Um, so I like I like the fit there, to be honest. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Because I, sort of as you were talking now, I was kind of thinking, what's his best position? Is it like, is it an inverted, you know, left back or is it a, an out and out right back? And he obviously came as a right back, but then had his best season on the other side and then kind of fell out because he was sort of playing like, he ended up playing a right wing, I remember almost pretty much against Liverpool when they lost that one. And it felt like after that, they sort of, either he wanted to move over there or to that right side or I don't know. It was all just a bit confusing. I agree with you. I think the Arsenal one I'm struggling with, I'll be honest, because... Yeah, I just don't. I think he's. I think he's best. Well, we, the best we've seen of him is that sort of inverted mm. player. I also so, thought Ben White was really good last year. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't go out my way to replace Ben White as a right back, to be honest. Especially because he doesn't have a natural slot in that centre back role anymore. Because you know everyone loves Saliba so much. I think Ben White was really, really good last year, and I think his relationship with Saka was one of the best bits about Arsenal. I also think op- options are great as long as no one's annoyed. Exactly. And and that's the thing with Cancelo. I think wherever he goes, he has to start. So I agree with you. I think Real Madrid would work pretty well. Twenty nine, actually. So he's mm. you know a little bit older. So that might affect his transfer fee uh, as well. But yeah, got, yeah, he got two title-winning medals this year, which is crazy. <laughs> just to come back to Lionel Messi, though, how do you feel about that move of him to MLS? Because I just got, I got emotional and then we moved on. But how do you feel about Lionel Messi? 
I am pleased he's not going back to Barcelona from a completely neutral sort of like standpoint. Obviously, I'm not a Barcelona fan and there'd be a lot of romance around that move, but I didn't think it was a sensible decision from them. Yes, they probably do need to increase the creativity of that side, but the basis of their title win last year was on this really solid defence. And I think he impacts that. And what does it mean for the minutes of Pedri or Gavi? So I didn't love the move to to um, Barcelona, especially because they need to sign a right-back because Jules Kunde doesn't want to play at right-back. They definitely need to sign a defensive midfielder to replace Busquets. So I didn't want him to go to Barcelona purely from a sort of footballing standpoint. I didn't really want him to go to Saudi Arabia. I thought that would be incredibly flat six months after being the best player at the World Cup. But, you know, he did turn down 400 million euros, so respect him for that. Although, into Miami, you know, he's he's making enough over there as I well. I saw an amazing tweet. Let's see if I can find it really quickly. It was of what, how actually this is a better move. Financially. Yes, did you see that? I've got it here. So this is from Joe Pompliano. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. Okay. Well, no, know him personally, but know of him. Is he all right? Good guy? Yeah, great guy. Okay. David Beckham's move to MLS is one of the best sports business deals ever. So earned $255 million over five years, just in wages, I think. Purchased into Miami for $25 million. Into Miami is now valued at $600 million. And now they've got Lionel Messi, which will push the club's valuation towards $1 billion. Well done, David. That is a ripple effect right there. He is a shrewd operator he, in the market. Yes, I know. I know it just looks pretty and dumb, but he's not. But Lionel Messi, if it, it, he's got similar things sort of baked into his contracts in terms of being able to get them get himself a, a franchise. What I do struggle with, and uh, please tweet me, guys, if you have a strong feeling on what Lionel Messi will do when he finishes. And maybe it is just own a club quietly. I can't see him being the face. He doesn't like the att- voice. He doesn't like attention. Yeah. What does he? What's he going to do with the rest of his life? I think he goes back to Argentina, chills out with his family or, or moves back to Barcelona as well. He loves Barcelona, of course, uh, and feels yeah very settled there. I am acting like I know him. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, he'd, I think he'd potentially do that. But he has, I think he bought a house in Miami a few years ago. So it felt like this is one of the options. What I found slightly confusing about the Messi move was he got himself suspended from PSG for two weeks or was it one week for going to work for Saudi Arabia mid-season and then decided, that, nah, no, I'm actually not going to move there permanently. Well, maybe, and got himself booed endlessly by the ultras yeah. at PSG over that decision. So that was a little bit of a strange one. The whole PSG stint is pretty forgettable. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only good thing that came from it, and you'd have to ask him this. And so I did, um, I have a series on my channel called Dream Teams, and I did it with Guillaume Balagay. And I asked him about Messi, obviously. And he said, I mean, he said the same about Arteta. And I guess he was right about both. He was kind of go, you know, he was like, you know, nothing. You know nothing about Arteta and what he's doing here. What, ne- to you? Yeah, yeah. It's very I think he's speaking generally, right. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I didn't think about that. And he said, you, wait, you know, wait till next year. And then Arsenal, like, flew. And he kind of said the same thing about Lionel Messi. He said, Lionel Messi would be going through a lot of stuff here, but you j- just wait. Did, I mean, on the pitch, it was great when he was fit. Yeah. And so I wonder, I wonder if he was able to check out mentally in the lead up to that World Cup. And there was a lot of other things that helped with winning that World Cup. But I wonder if that did sort of just help a little yeah. bit, so well, he wasn't was, as fried. Yeah, that I mean, that was the yeah, that, that was the best stint of his season though. PSG before the World Cup, I remember everyone was like, they're going to do it this year. They're actually going to win the Champions League. Yeah, like, all three of them. Actually, I think Mbappe was probably in the worst form of the three. But Neymar and Messi pre World Cup were absolutely exceptional. It felt like they were going to absolutely walk the Champions League, uh, which of course they never do. They always 
mess it up come February time. But yeah, weird stint, PSG and Messi. I don't think I'll particularly remember that in 20 years' time when I think Lionel Messi. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we end with the apex predator. The big one. Come on. Benzema going to Al-Itihad will result in Gianluca Scamacca leaving West Ham. But where to? So Real Madrid have reportedly got 400 million euros to spend this summer. Very similar to the Queensborough Rangers transfer budget, I think. They've already signed Bellingham for 100 mil. They're linked with some interesting names here. So Sadio Mane, who again, great example of hasn't had a good season, so we've kind of forgotten him. He's awesome. Mm. He's like a really good footballer, guys. Uh, Lautaro Martinez, who's... I did a, I did a video, we put him forward for Tottenham for 70 mil. There's going to be a few... It'd be interesting to see how his summer goes because I don't think he's anyone's I'm not sure he's anyone's first choice although if say Kane's going Martinez would be you know a great option for them but it's commission to see where see where he ends up this summer but Inter obviously need to to sell Havertz uh, Alfonso Davies we're talking about Cancelo there but Alfonso Davies on that as left back for them could be pretty frightening as well Mm. Harry Kane Jossalu mm-hmm yeah. Jocelyn. <laughs> so I, I was equally baffled, but basically he's got a clause in his Espanol contract who just got relegated that he can join another club on loan. Okay. And he did spend some time at Real Madrid as a youngster, but he's like 33 or 34 now. Uh, but he's actually, he's done okay in the last few years in uh, Spain with Espanol and before that Alaves. I think he scored 10, over 10 league goals for the last three seasons. But I would say, caveat, the striking talent in La Liga right now is at an all-time low. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Do you, any reason why, you think? Or just unable to buy them? It's very strange. I mean, you've got players like Borja Iglesias, Real Betis, you've got Gerard Moreno at Villarreal, you've got Benzema and Lewandowski. But aside from that, there's just not that many top strikers that are Spanish right now. And we've seen it with the national team. Mm. You know, every time it comes to, you know, a major tournament, they're like, well, Spain are actually struggling. You know, if they had a striker, if only they had a striker, because it always, and then everyone bullies Morata for three weeks and then forgets about him. <laughs> so true. He's the most bullied footballer in world it's football crazy. of all time, I would say. So the signing of Mane would strengthen Bayern's position in the market and make them more likely to allow them to make moves for more talent within the Bundesliga. One name that they could go for is Marco Tram, who we spoke about earlier, currently linked with PSG. But Bayern could throw money at him if they sell Mane. Tram is currently at that free agent, as we said. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting here is over the next few weeks this summer, and you guys are going to be listening throughout... There will be certain names that we will keep coming back to. And I, I'm already starting to see, and a lot of them are strikers. Chiram feels like one, Martinez one, Gonzalo Ramos as mm. well. I wonder if, it, I think he's going to be sort of linked with quite a few teams uh, this year. Uh, Martinez leaving would see Inter struggle to replace him as Inter are skint. This could mean that uh, Joaquin Correa becomes a starter for them. Is he good enough, do you think? He was very good at Lazio, but again, it was sort of in and out of the first 11. But yeah, I was surprised at how, how ineffective he's been at Inter. The Inter fans that I follow on Twitter aren't his biggest fans necessarily. But then it's quite difficult playing second fiddle to three on their day, very good strikers. Yes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see out of like how many of those strikers are going to be knocking about. Because Lukaku, obviously, Dzeko's not getting any younger. And Martinez as well, all on the way out. Or it forces Inter to make a move for an up-and-coming striker such as Matteo Ritegui, who plays for Tigre in Argentina, but is an uh, Italian international. It doesn't even speak the language. 
Uh, do you know anything about him? Is he is he decent? Well, it's a similar thing to what I was just saying about Spain. Italy have struggled for strikers as well. You know, going back quite a long way, really. Actually, I mean, Grazio. They were so potent. They though, were amazing. They? Yeah, 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 yeah. With Tony and Totti, etc., yeah, yeah, and yeah. Zaghi before that, and you know, numerous names. But uh, yeah, in the last few years, it's been really fallow up there. I mean, Immobile, Scamacca has now broken onto the scene. These aren't sort of world class strikers. I mean, Scamacca, I think, could still come good, but not at the moment. So they. Mancini's been really spreading, you know, the Italian search and he's found this Mario Retigi guy uh, who's actually owned by Boca Juniors but is on loan at Tigres in Mexico. And he scored a lot of goals in the last few years, got called up to the Italian national team, I think in the January or the February international break. And I think he scored on his debut. So, but yeah, haven't seen a lot of him in the flesh or, you know, on video. Okay. Um, but yeah, excited to see what he can do. So it's going to be interesting, Serie to see like how it all changes. Because with a lot of strikers going, that's a lot of goals going. Mm. And so how you kind of fix that after that. Napoli is, you know, as well, example, if it were to happen with Victor Osserman, like how much would that change it for them? We haven't even spoken about Vlahovic as well. Like, is he going to be a moving part in this? Because it seems like all those Italian sides, you know, if the price is right, that you know that player will move on. Yeah, I mean, Juve posted a record loss by an Italian club last year, um, two hundred and forty odd million euros, I think. Uh, Inter Milan have an enormous loan of two hundred and forty-four million euros that I think they have to pay in July next year. Um, but I put that on Twitter before the final, being like, "Oh, I feel like it's kind of like the end of an era for for Inter because they've got the oldest squad in Syria. They feel like they have to sell at least one star this summer." because Skriniar's leaving on a free and loads of Inter fans came back at me really hard and we're like, we'll be fine. And, you know, the debt's going to be refinanced and all this sort of stuff. But either way, you know, whoever's right, it feels like a lot of change is going to go on at Inter in the next few years. So, and and Milan need a striker as well because Olivier Giroud's not getting any younger and Zlatan's just retired as well. So all the top clubs in Italy, with the exception of probably Roma, probably need a striker this this summer. Which leads us on to Skamaka, who's had, uh, obviously a terrible season for yeah. West Ham feels like a stylistic problem as much as anything which Antonio has spoken about himself on, on Filthy Fellas it feels like in terms of that next layer of striker all those clubs that you've just spoken about you know obviously Italian international as well a move for him back to Serie A makes, makes sense surely this summer do you think and and for West Ham they'll be quite keen for that to occur as well so they can get as much money back as possible yeah I think so I think you know, West Ham have brought in a lot of players over the last few years that for a number of reasons just haven't really worked out. You look at Seb Haller, you look at Felipe Anderson, both have gone on to, to great things, but mm. cost, you know, I think it was £40 million, both of them, um, or individually £40 million. Skamaka, £35 million, and came off a really good year at Sassuolo last year, did slightly overperform his expected goals, was scoring goals from sort of all sorts of ranges, um, and playing in Italy, as we've said, you know, maybe not as good defensively as it once was. It's better to easier to slightly inflate your numbers. But at the same time, wasn't the worst pickup from West Ham. They needed to move on from Antonio or at least give him some competition. But yeah, Antonio's words on that podcast were quite telling. I think maybe not as robust as you need to be in the Premier League at the moment. Um, I think it'd be a shame to sell him. But at the same time, if they could recoup 30 to 25 to 30 million pounds for him, I think that's probably a good move. And feels like Juve might go for him because they didn't, take up the option to sign Milik permanently for just £7 million, uh, which was, I think, quite a niche decision uh, and might lose Vlavic <laughs> niche, as well. Does niche mean wrong? Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. wrong. Very <laughs> right. wondering. Okay, Joe, yeah, keep an eye out for Brighton as well. Deserby, 
maybe as a little look at him. You know, team that like keeps the ball. He hasn't got to be as mobile. Evan Ferguson might come into this mix as well. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you don't maybe you don't want to block it for him because he's been so impressive. But they've got European football as well. This is true. The bottom line of this is Real Madrid have all the power, it seems, in the transfer window and their actions in the window. We'll decide a lot of what happens to every other club in this window. Doogie, it's been a joy. I've loved it. Um, if people want to find your podcast or you or whatever, where do they go? What do they do? I imagine it involves the internet. Yes, it does involve the internet. Yeah. So if you do want to check out my podcast, I did a five part series one. Uh, it was called Doogie Critchley Player Profiles. It's available on Spotify and on all good podcast platforms. Yeah, the mini clips of like three minutes just on niche players. I did one on, uh, I think I did one on Coadio Kone. He's been linked with Liverpool. Rasmus Hoyland was another one. Uh, and uh, I can't remember who the others are. Go check them out anyway. Uh, but yeah, if you want to hear more of my thoughts, uh, as James sort of intonated at the start, I run a fairly active Twitter account. I really do enjoy Twitter most of the time uh, at Doogie Critchley. And you can also follow me on TikTok and Instagram if you choose to do so, although I'm not quite as active on there. Yeah, well, you are the guy. So if anyone's wondering, somehow you haven't seen Doogie on Football Daily, which you would have, but if you haven't, you might have seen him on TikTok just dominating Zach Jalab and the Football Daily team when it's Guess the Player or yeah. whatever those quizzes are. You're absolutely dominant in that. Absolutely. I would I never like go anywhere format. near you on something like that. Um, Doogie, thank you so much, mate. I really, really appreciate it. As I said, yeah, go check out Doogie. He's fantastic. I'm trying to get him to get more player profiles because they really help myself. But also on Twitter, it's just interesting points of view. So go check him out. Uh, if you are still here, you've probably enjoyed yourself. So why not? follow the podcast i want to get you guys involved as well especially over the transfer window so if you see ripple effects then let me know on twitter at james alcott a double l c o double t give us a five star rating on this podcast as well it would make myself finn and kai the whole team incredibly happy thank you very much and make sure you check out all the other podcasts on this podcast as well this is the ripple effect we'll see you next time